we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Let's pray. Lord, uh, again, we're just blown away at the love that you have for each and every one of us, Lord. And Lord, I ask, Lord, we ask that you'd be opening our eyes, Lord, softening our hearts, God, that we would just, Lord, learn the greater depths, Lord. The depth, the width, the height, Lord, of this love that you have for each and every one of us, Lord. This love that you have for both our brothers and sisters and also for our enemies, Lord. This love that you demonstrated to the whole world by sending your only begotten Son, Lord. I pray that this morning we would just learn more about it, Lord. That we'd be convicted, we'd be cut to the heart about it, God. Uh, Lord, we intercede, we pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord, those who are sick, those dealing with COVID right now, Lord, or other sicknesses, God, uh, continue to pray for Hector, Lord, and the pain that he's in, God, pray that you be healing our brother, God, and uh, Lord, thank you for so many answers to prayer, Lord, so many people that are healthy now and back here with us, Lord, the miracles with Pastor Tony and Pastor Scott and so many others, Lord, we thank you that you are a God that answers our prayers, Lord. Think of the many ladies here who are pregnant, Lord, and how you've uh, seen them through their pregnancies, God. Again, we just thank you for these answers to prayer, God. And uh, Lord, we intercede. We intercede for the church all across the globe, Lord. I can't think of, can't believe, Lord, to be a pastor or leader in Australia, Lord, or uh, in Cuba, in Afghanistan now, Lord, and, and what that looks like, Lord. We pray that you'd be strengthening our brothers, Lord, that you'd be encouraging them. And Lord, I I pray for us, Lord, the church here in America, and us specifically, Lord. Those of us who are here watching online, Lord, I pray that we'd wake up out of our sleep, Lord. That we'd be walking circumspectly, Lord, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, Lord. Knowing that you're returning at any moment, God. So, Lord, do that work in us. Convict us, Lord. Help us to wake up and to realign our priorities, God. So we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. John, he's been hammering these three points over and over and over again throughout this epistle, right? He's been reminding us that we should be loving God. We need to love God. He's been reminding us we need to be obedient to God's word if we really love God. And then finally, he tells us we should be loving others. We should be loving other believers if we really love God. And those three things, they happen over and over and over again as we're going through this epistle. And we're going to see it once again here at the end of 1 John 4. We ended the first half of 1 John 4 with these questions, right? Do we know how much God loves us? Do we have an idea of it? Do we have an idea of what he has done to show, to demonstrate to reveal to us how much he loves and cares about each and every one of us. To the depth that we know that, to the depth that we actually believe that, we're going to do a few things, right? 
We spoke about testing the spirits. We're going uh, to change what we allow to come into our minds and what we allow to come into our hearts. Depending on how much we truly believe God loves us and that he sent his only son to die for us, it's going to affect what we listen to and what we're speaking out. We're going to be seeking to be a part of God and the spirit of truth versus the world and the spirit of error trying to distract us and take us away. Finally, if we truly believe and know how much God loves us, we believe and know that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. (coughs) (coughs) Pause for effect. (coughs) It's going to affect how we forgive and how we love others. Again, if God so loved us, we are bound in a debt to love one another. Again, do we know that? Do we believe that? Some of us, we may know that in our minds, but our heart doesn't believe that whatsoever. For some of us, we believe we deserve it. We've done enough to attain God's love. Or we're actually pretty good. We're not that bad. And because we're not that bad, we have somehow earned God's love. And hopefully, we'll just be reminded of this agape love. What does this selfless love really look like? What does it really mean? We spoke about the definition last week. It's an unconditional love. There's no conditions. There's no um, document attached to it, if you would. It's always giving to us. It's impossible to take or be a taker, seeking to get his best interests out of us, to use us and abuse us for him and his pleasures. It devotes total commitment to seek your highest best. No matter how we may respond to one another or to him. Sometimes through trials. Sometimes through temptations. Sometimes through difficulties. But it's him seeking our best through these challenges. This form of love is totally selfless and does not change whether love is given or returned. Again, he loves us with this selfless love. Our David Reynolds, he says, agape love is rooted in the nature of God. God is the source of agape love. Agape is like the energizer bunny. It keeps going and going and going. Or rather, it keeps giving and giving and giving. It's not based on mutual affection between the lover and the object of his love. And it does not depend on any attractiveness of the object of its affection. Agape loves those who are unlovable. And loves when there is no cause or reason to love. And some of us, we struggle with this. Because some of us, we think, I am pretty attractive. (laughs) Right? Some of us, we look at God and we think, Lord, I am pretty amazing. At least I'm not like so-and-so down the street. At least I'm not like this other guy at church. He always comes here later. At least I'm not like him. Lord, at least I serve. I'm not like the other people at church. Lord, at least I come, right? And we think we are more attractive in God's eyes. And somehow we can think we deserve this agape love. I know I've mentioned it before. I think a marriage is sort of in a good season when both the husband and the wife believe that they have married up in marriage, right? I think it would be a pretty sad day if the husband goes, honey, I just settled for you, right? You should talk to George Lee after services. That's what you're thinking, right? If any of the ladies said, man, I should, have, I should have married that guy back in high school, right? But I settled for you, honey, right? Things would be in a pretty bad situation. 
Pretty bad situation. You should be attending the couples retreat this week, right? Pretty bad status. But there's some of us that we think we deserve God. That somehow we are not marrying up. That we are in total, complete humility and blown away. I've done nothing to deserve this selfless love that he's given me. And I hope that we realize that more and more after this morning. In verse 11 and 12, right, it tells us, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God, he abides in us. That means God is dwelling in us. And his love has been perfected in us. This word perfected, it means that we've come to full maturity. His love has been completed in us. This agape love has been fully complete in us if we have these two things. First is found in verse 12, if we have love for one another. If you're here and you think that you're spiritually mature, you're going to demonstrate that by how much you love other people. Starting off with Christians, then to people as they go further and further. And then Jesus even tells us that we should love our enemies, right? Pray for those that spitefully use you. That's the mark of true maturity as a believer. It's not your theology, how many books of the Bible you know, how many languages you can speak. It's do you love the body of Christ? The second way we can find out if we are complete, if we are mature, verse 17, if love, right, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So the second mark that the love of Christ has been brought to maturity in our lives, it's if we have boldness in the day of judgment and if we're living without fear. This is how we can know, Lord, I am mature in you. Are you fearful of the coming day of Christ? Right? Amir, he mentioned that on Wednesday, how there's some people that they're begging, Lord, come soon, return, come quickly, Jesus. And there's other people that are like, ah, give me a minute, right? And I've been there, right? When you're like, Lord, wait till I get married, right? Lord, wait till I have one kid. Lord, wait till I have grandkids. That's one thing. But there's some people who are saying, Lord, wait, because I want to have my fun now, and later on, I'll get right with you. Lord, wait, because right now I'm in this relationship, and ah, Lord, she's so beautiful, he's so handsome, and Lord, I love this more than I love you, so Lord, don't come right now, right? We have to be careful. Are we at the point that we can come and say, Lord, boldly, come, Lord Jesus, come? And then if we realize how much God loves us and what his love is rooted in and grounded in, then we won't have fear, We'll look at this later on, but again, back to verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Full maturity of God's love in us is reached when we have a selfless love for one another. His love has been made complete within us when we can love other believers the way he loves us. Do you love other believers the way he loves you? Right? We are so quick. It, it's, we are quicker, at least I'm quicker, right? To sort of cut a believer off when I expect something from them. I expect a certain maturity from them. 
I expect a certain amount of faithfulness from them. I expect a certain amount of truthfulness from them. So when they fail, I'm quicker to cut them off than I am an unbeliever. But that's not how Christ treats us. When we fail, when we mess up, Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm going to another church from here on out, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm not going to meet with you in the mornings anymore because you messed me up. I expected you to do this and you didn't show up, so that's it. We can't be brothers anymore. That's not how he treats us. John 13, verse 34 and 35, we've read this verse so often going through 1 John. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How should we love others? As Christ, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It is by this that all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, family, do you have a love for the body of Christ? Do you have a love? On your way here to church, could your kids, could your spouse, could they sense the love that you have for coming to church? We joked around in the first service, right? Or were they hearing you hymning and hawing and complaining? And then it's funny, you see the parking lot ministers and you're like healed of all your like uh, frailties coming to church, right? All sons all amens, hallelujahs, praise you Jesus, right? Everything is great. Is that how we were when we were coming into the house of the Lord? Was there joy? Was there gladness? Was there an excitement to be with God's people? Do we have God's love in us? Because if we do, we're going to love one another. In 1 John 2, verse 5 and 6, the page or two to your left, depending how big your Bible is. 1 John 2. Verse 5 and 6, it says, But whoever keeps his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Family, are we walking as Christ walked? Are we loving as Christ loved? Are we forgiving as Christ has forgiven us? And even not only us on a macro, on a grand scale, but personally going through the Gospels, are we loving people the way that Jesus loved and forgave the disciples? Got this new devotional, and it only focuses on the mind of Christ and the things that Christ says. And to look at the way Jesus treated the disciples, it's convicting to me, right? Jesus, he's asleep on the boat, and how do the disciples wake him up? Do you even care about us? Jesus, we're about to die. You don't even care about us, right? He wakes up, he's probably groggy, not groggy, right? Fully man, fully God. I still don't fully understand that, right? But he wakes up, he puts the, the storm at ease, speaks to them. Maybe he goes back to bed, we don't know, right? But then what happens about three years later, he tells them in the Garden of Gethsemane, hey, I need you to stay awake and pray with me. I need you to stay awake and pray with me. They fall asleep, wake up. They fall asleep, wake up. He doesn't say, do you even care about me? Right? Remember those words, guys? He doesn't say that. He's kind. He's meek. He's loving. He's merciful. He's gracious towards them. Again, family, how are we with one another? Do we have the same mindset of Christ? Are we walking as Christ walked with the family and with the body of Christ? You know, more and more I get convicted at being sarcastic. Because you don't really see that as love, right? What's your love language? Sarcasm. That's my love language, right? <laughs> Sarcasm. Being passive aggressive. Cutting down our family. Cutting down our loved ones. Are we walking as Jesus walked? 
Or are we using our growing up, the way we've been raised, as crutches that we can walk in a certain way and not be as Christ is to our family, to our friends, and to the body of Christ? What are we holding on to? Are we walking as he walked? Are we loving as he has loved us? Again, we can go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. And here's the encouraging thing to us. Almost every disciple, almost every epistle encourages the church, hey, you should love one another. So we see it's a problem from when the church started to us today. Thessalonians, Colossians, Ephesians, hey, love one another, bear with one another, care for one another, Acts, there's a schism, there's a fight in the church, love one another, be gracious with one another. So again, we have the same frailties as the same people in Scripture did, right? The disciples, who's the greatest among us? Who's Jesus' favorite? I think I'm holier than you. You think you're holier than me. Again, we have the same frailties. We have the same conviction from the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Verse 9 and 10, it tells us, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk properly towards those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Again, this church, the author here, Paul, he's saying, you do love one another. You love all in Macedonia. They say, hey, good job, you got it. We don't have to talk about that. He says, no, I hope, I desire that you increase more and more. So again, even if you're here and you're saying, man, I do, I love coming to church. I love the people here. God's desire in us is that we would increase, that we would grow more and more for the love of the body of Christ. That's the thing, right? He tells us there in 1 John 4 that no one has seen God at any time. There's been pictures of Jesus throughout Scripture. People have met with Christ throughout Scripture. But the only true part of Christ that we can deal with physically in this life, it's the body of Christ. And who's the body of Christ? Us. The person to the right of you, the person to the left of you. I bet you didn't think Jesus looked like that, right? But this is the body of Christ. He's the head and we are the body. So if this is the only physical thing we have here to love, how dare we say, I don't love these people. Well, that's what we're telling to Jesus. That's what we're telling to him. So again, as we know the Lord, as we know his love, as it's growing and maturing in us, we are going to love the body of Christ more and more. This is the true way to measure spiritual maturity. It's the amount of selfless love that we have for the body of Christ. It's not if you're King James only. It's not if you have a giant Bible or a little Bible. It's not if you have an electronic Bible or a tablet, right? Or an actual stone tablet. That's not what marks a true mature believer. It's how much do you love the body of Christ? How much is the selfless love of God flowing into you and flowing out of you? Right? Some of us, we struggle and we're a hoarder, right? In multiple facets of life, right? But some of us, we want to be a hoarder when it comes to the agape love of Christ. 
right? We fail, we mess up. Oh, Lord, thank you that, Lord, you still love me. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, you're so great. Sack then and say hi to me today, right? Lord, I pray, bash his teeth in, right? I don't know if that's what you're praying, right? But that's how we are. Man, so-and-so didn't say hi to me. So-and-so didn't ask me how I'm doing. So-and-so did this. So-and-so did that. And we just want to keep this selfless love of Christ all to ourselves. That's not what John is saying. He's saying we should be receiving it. And as it's matured, as it's complete in us, then we will be giving it to those around us. David Guzik, he says, the mature Christian will be marked by love. Again, the true measure of maturity, it's not an image of power or popularity. It's not the image of passionate feelings, but the abiding presence of God's love in our lives given out to others. Again, are you defined by love? Again, John, he's defined as the disciple whom Christ loved. And perhaps it's because he dwelt in the love of Christ so much that he's able to love others in this way. The more we spend with Christ, the more we have his love, the more we should be sharing it and giving it to others. In verse 13, by this we know that we abide, that we're dwelling in him, and that Christ is dwelling in us because he has given us of his spirit. Again, how much of this selfless love is flowing in and through us? If we're truly dwelling in God, he's dwelling in us and he's given us his spirit. We read it last week, Galatians 5, verse 22. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. It's agape love. So if you truly are dwelling with God, He's going to dwell with you. And if He's dwelling with you, you're going to have His Spirit. And if you have His Spirit, you're going to have agape love. Again, this evidence, this is a trickle-down effect that's going to happen in each and every one of our lives. The more we abide with God, the more He abides in us through His Holy Spirit. The more his Holy Spirit abides and dwells in us, the more we are going to love others. Again, Jesus died for all the people in this room. He loves them with an everlasting love. He has a relationship with each and every one of them. Is he going to want us to not love them? Is he going to want us to not care for them? To be short with them or cruel with them or merciless with them or unforgiving with them? No, he's going to want us to love them as he has loved us. In verse 14 and 15, it says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Right? John 3.16 is basically the whole Bible in one verse. Here in 1 John 4.14, it's the whole Bible in half a verse, right? The Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Again, do you believe that this morning? Do we know that? Is that truly the evidence of our lives? And we got to remember, right, the historical context here. John, he's dealing with all of these false prophets, false doctrines. Believing Jesus, he was a man. The Christos just came on him at one point and then left him. The other people, they believed Jesus. He was like Casper the Friendly Ghost. He just floated around everywhere. Didn't really do anything in in the actual flesh. So he's saying, this is what you have to believe The Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world, and that Jesus, he is the Son of God. Again, family, do we believe that? Do we truly believe that here? That we need a Savior. That the world needs a Savior. 
I think even unbelievers, as they see the world unraveling more and more, as we're seeing Romans 1 live down in front of us, as we're seeing darkness called light and light called darkness, even unbelievers are starting to say, man, something is going on. What's going on around us? Do we realize how much we need the Lord? In Matthew 16, I think we got time. Let's try to turn there. Famous last words in the teachings. Uh, I think we got time. Uh, Matthew 16, you could turn there real quick. Matthew 16, verse 33, it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And family, this is the ultimate question that every man and woman must answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? Each of us have to answer this question. What does your life confess about who Jesus is? There's many people that just think he's a philanthropist, right? There's some that think Jesus, right? He was like an ancient Robin Hood stealing from the poor, receiving from the rich to give to the poor, multiplying bread, doing all this just for people. He was just healing the poor, helping the poor. But we need to know that he is the savior of the world. Do we know that? Do we believe that? Do we believe John 10 verse 9 that he is the door, right? He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and I will go, and will go in and go out and find pasture. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way into heaven here this morning? Do you think that there's other ways? If you really believe that, if there's someone that you love that they're believing something else, you're going to warn them. You're going to say that's simply not true. There's only one way that man can be saved. Do we believe John 14, verse 6? Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Family, do you believe that here this morning? Do you truly believe that? And now here the warning to us is not to just believe it, but what are those two words in verse 14 and verse 15? Testify. And confess. And if we truly believe this in our heart, there needs to come a day that we begin to testify and confess to others that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Again, family, what is your hobby horse? What is the thing that you're testifying about? What is the thing that you're confessing about? Is it sports? Is it music? Is it politics? When was the last time you testified and confessed about the power of Jesus Christ? When was the last time you loved someone so much that you sat them down and said, this is the only way to get life and life abundantly? When was the last time you did that? Because each of us have to answer the question, who do you say that I am? 
And to acknowledge, to confess him, Howard Marshall, he says, to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God is not simply to make a statement about his metaphysical status, but it's to express obedient trust in the one who possesses such a status. We're saying he is the Son of God, so because of that, I believe God's word, and I'm going to obey God's word. Because not only is he the son of God, not only does he have so much power and might, but he died for me and he loves me. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to follow him. Right? We sing the song, though none go with me, yet I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. That's what it means to truly confess that Jesus is the savior of the world. Again, family, do you believe that you need to be saved? Do you believe that you need saving? Or do you think you got it? You got it. You could figure out, if, after you die, you could figure out some way into heaven. Or do you realize, Lord, apart from you, there's no way I can get there. God, I just, I just can't make it. I don't have what it takes to get there. We need to have that within our lives. And then does our life express that? Does our life show that? 1 John 4, verse 16, we continue. It says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God. And God in him. Right? This isn't the first time John has said this. This isn't the last time John is going to say this. That God is love. What he's saying here is that love is defined by the person and behavior of God. We cannot understand love if we do not understand who God is. Your definition of love is just simply incomplete until you begin to understand God more and more. And how do we really understand God? It's by going through his word. It's not by our emotions. It's not by our experiences. Truth is found in God's word. And that's totally contrary to our world right now. Because all of truth is subjected in this world standards to emotions and to experience. You're not allowed to talk on this subject because you've never been through it, right? That's what we see all over our world. But the only way we can get the true definition of what love is, it's not going to the pop charts. It's not going to pop tarts either, right? It's not going to anything like that. The only way we're going to get the true understanding of what love, of what love is, is by understanding who God is. Again, if you're here and you're married and you're doing great in your marriage or you're having a difficulty in your marriage, the way you're going to be able to love your spouse more and more is by getting to know God more and more. Understanding what he is, who he is, and then we'll really be able to understand what love is. If you're here and you're not married, that's why it's so important for you to marry another spirit-filled believer. Because then their definition of love and your definition of love is not based on experience, it's not based on emotions. It's based on what the word of God says. Another important thing for us to know, this statement that God is love, it doesn't erase all the other statements and all the other attributes of God. Sometimes we just hear God is love, so that just erases everything else. No, no, no. God, he's still holy. He's still all-powerful. He's still all-knowing. He's still consuming fire. He is still pure. He's all of these things. He's perfect righteousness. He's perfect love. Again, we need to know this more and more within our hearts. It does not say our love is God. We have to be careful with that. Our love is not big enough to demonstrate how great the love of God truly is. 
and how great our God really is. Our love cannot compare. Our love, it's so finicky. It's so disgusting. It's so gross. We have to look at him to get the true definition of what love is. Verse 17, it tells us, but love has been perfected, right? It's come to full maturity among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. This idea of having boldness in the day of judgment is that we would have the freedom to speak freely when we're in the courtroom, when we're facing the judgment day. And why will we be able to speak freely? Because God won't look at us. God will look at Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's what being a Christian really is. is We're saying, God, I'm not good enough to get into heaven. You died for me, Lord. You saved me, Lord. I'm going to pick up my cross daily and follow you. And Lord, you're going to look at the sacrifice of your son as the payment, the penalty. Last week we saw, right, the propitiation for my sins. So then when that judgment day comes, we can speak freely. We have nothing to hide. We have nothing to be afraid of. It's speaking there of the mercy seat there on the Ark of the Covenant. That's where we will be. It's at the mercy seat where we can speak freely with our God. Family, can you really speak freely in front of God right now? Are there sins? Are there things holding you back from speaking freely? Right? It's amazing how we begin to act differently when a police officer drives by with their sirens on, right? I was mentioning to the 9 o'clock service sometimes on, on 8th Street, on the on-ramp on on and off-ramp on the turnpike, sometimes there's FHP there and they wait and they pull people over if they don't have their seatbelts on. One time I was driving with my friend, we're getting off the off-ramp and he lowers his window and goes, hey, look, I'm good. And he shows him a seatbelt right away. The cop just laughed, he waves and he sent us away. But how do we act if we don't have our seatbelt on, right? All of a sudden we just become like a T-Rex, right? And you're driving there, now you're T-Rex, and now you don't move your neck, and you're just reaching over for the seatbelt, right? <laughs> and everything is right here. And some of you are laughing from experience, right? There's no boldness in the day of judgment. There's no showing your hands. There's no calling attention to yourself. There's no lowering the window because you sense that guilt. You sense that condemnation. So there's two things here for us, and we're going to look deeper into what the love of God really is. But if we're a believer here and we have unconfessed sin, we have besetting sin, we have sin that we're hiding. Maybe we're living a double life. We're one person here at church, 11 to 1230, and we're a different person the rest of our day. You're not going to have that boldness. You're not going to have that heart, Lord, come soon. Jesus, come right now. So again, may we have that boldness in the day of judgment. What we should have, it's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. We could turn there. Hebrews chapter 4, a couple pages to our left. Go through the book of James, and you're there in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Again, family, we have nothing to hide. We have nothing to be ashamed of. So if another brother or sister calls us out on our sin, we're not going to draw back. 
We're not going to stop speaking with them or stop coming to church or stop seeking the Lord. No, we're going to do the opposite. What? There's something getting in the way of me and my relationship with God? I'm going to come boldly because the only way it's going to get right is if I come to the throne of grace. That's the only way things are going to get cleared. That's the only way things are going to get right is if I come boldly to the throne of grace so that I may obtain more mercy. So that I may obtain more grace. You see, so often we get convicted with our sins. A brother or sister calls us out on what we're going through. And because of our pride, we do the exact opposite. And we go and we hide. We get mad. We get ashamed. We get angry that someone called us out on what's truthful. And the only way we're going to get it right is to come boldly to that throne of grace, crying out to God, saying, Lord, help me. Isn't that how we got saved? At least that's how I got saved. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I've sinned against you. You sent your only son, and I killed him on the cross. Lord, I humble myself. Lord, I need you to save me. That's the same thing we need to do each and every day. We never get away from that. Every time we confess our sins before the Lord, it's the same thing. Lord, I'm broken. I've sinned against you. Only you can fix this. Only you can make that right over and over and over again. Again, we need to believe in that. We need to trust in that. This is how love is perfected. This is how love is complete. This is how love is mature in us. Then in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Again, in our frailties, both the guys and the girls here, we all struggle with anxieties, with fears, and with insecurities. And when someone loves us, those fears, those anxieties, those insecurities, they seem to like wash away, right? They seem to disappear for a moment. When, you're, when you come to a new place, I was talking to someone that was their first time here at church, and they said, man, thank you. The people here, they, they help me feel so welcomed. Everybody's so kind, so loving. Again, those insecurities, they get pushed to the side when people demonstrate love towards you. And that's the same thing that should be happening in us. As we taste and see how good our God is, as we taste and feel this agape love within our lives, and sometimes we don't feel it, it's going to cast out our fear. And it's amazing. What do I think the opposite of fear is? I think it's courage, right? And all throughout the Bible, you see Jesus or the angel of the Lord telling Joshua, telling other people, right? Be strong and courageous, right? In the power of his might. Be courageous. Quit ye like a man, right? That's not what he says here. He says the way we get over fear is to be focused on this agape love. That's how we get over it. That's how we get over our insecurities. That's how we get over our anxiety. That's how we get over our fear. It's to be focused on the love of God and to be demonstrating that love of God to other people. There's some people, they come, man, the world, it's, it's all falling apart. America, we have no hope. We have no this. I got to tell you, when I'm there on Monday nights with the young adults, I don't have fear about the world falling apart. Because I see how many young people love the Lord, love being with God's people, and love his word. I see the agape love there. So again, maybe you're here and you're struggling with that fear and anxiety with what's going on. When was the last time you demonstrated the agape love of Christ to others? When was the last time you sat down and absorbed and reminded yourself of the agape love of God? Right? How has the past two years of this life been for you? Has it been 
defined by fear? Has every turn, every decision been defined by fear? Because if it has, again, just some practical tips. Turn off the news and turn off your social media. The world is still going to spin. Things are still going to happen whether you're seeing them or not seeing them, right? Turn those things off for a season and spend some more time in the word of God. Spend some more time showing that agape love to others. Because we can get so consumed with the fear and the things going on in this world, we completely lose track of God's agape love for us. Again, sometimes we forget the believers in this day and age, when it, when it spoke to them about being hospitable to others, it could cost them their lives. Being hospitable to another person when Christianity was being sought after to be killed, to be murdered, to be thrown in front of lions, to be thrown in the Colosseum in front of wild animals, to be hospitable to a stranger, your life was on the line. Do we have it that bad today? Not at all. You might just deal with a creepy person, but that's about it, right, for the most part. But are we being hospitable? Are we being loving or are we being consumed with what this world is telling us? I think of George Mueller, right, and how he lived his life based on faith and praying and seeking the Lord. I think there's some believers today that will say, George, you didn't prep enough, right? You got to be a better, do- a better doomsday prepper, George. What's going on, right? We need to be focused on the Lord. Another thing that we need to be reminded of, and we all fail, is that God's love does not come to us based on the measure of our performance, I think we all struggle with that. Lord, I need to perform better so that you will love me more or love me the same. I think so often, at least the picture in my mind is like, God, he's one of those judges on the side of the ice rink and we're figure skaters going around, right? And then he holds up the number. Zach, today, it's a six, Zach. So that's all the love you're getting from me today. You said this to Amanda, you blew up on the kids, you got a six today. So I'm just going to give you a six amount of my love. That's not how God looks at us. His love is the same. His love is unchangeable. His love is unbroken. He's always giving. He's not in this relationship to see what he can take from us. His love seeks our best no matter how we respond. Even if it takes trials, temptations, and difficulties for us to get there. His love for us is selfless. It doesn't change based on if we read our Bible or if we didn't. If we were kind, if we were not. If we're in a season or a moment of returning it back to him or not. His love is the same. We love him because he first loved us with an everlasting love, seeing our past, our present, and our future. He said, hey, I'm going to love Zach with everything that I've got. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Sorry, we'll start in verse 7. And here's Paul. He's going through difficulties in life. He's going through some physical difficulties and he doesn't name it and claim it. He doesn't use the words of power in his mouth to speak blessing upon his life. No, not at all. Verse 7, he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, our God, he loves the unlovable. He loves the broken. He loves the unattractive. He loves those who have no reason to be loved. These are some of his favorite people. The problem is some of us, we look in a spiritual mirror and we say, man, I am super attractive. What are you talking about? I am holier than anybody else. Don't you know how often I've gone to church? Don't you know how much I know? Don't you know all these things? And we can get this self-religion, this self-righteousness, and then we are gross to God. Right? He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when we come to God saying, Lord, I am nothing. I am broken. I am unattractive. He loves us and he welcomes us in. But when we say, Lord, I'm pretty great. Lord, at least I'm not like so-and-so. Lord, at least I'm not like that person down the street praying. Lord, at least I'm not like that person that voted this way. Lord, at least I'm not that person that lives over there. That self-righteousness is brewing up in us. And God, he doesn't like that. It reminded me of this song. The title of it is, O Come All You Unfaithful. It's a play on the Christmas song, Come All Ye Faithful, right? And it's from Sovereign Grace Music. And listen to the lyrics. I hope you get encouraged. It says, O come all you unfaithful. Come weak and unstable. Come know that you're not alone. Come, O barren and waiting ones. Weary of praying. Come. O come bitter and broken. Come with fears unspoken. Come and taste of his perfect love. Oh, come guilty and hiding ones. There is no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. Again, sometimes we forget where this all started. We were broken and in need of a Savior. And after we come to him, we're still broken and in need of a Savior. There's no reason for us to run. There's no reason for us to hide. You could think of the prodigal son. He's at his lowest point and he's able to say, you know what? Even the slaves in my dad's house are living off better than me right now. So I'm going to go be with them. I'd rather be a slave in my dad's house than be free and be where I'm at right now in the world. He didn't think my dad, he's going to kick me out. My dad, he's going to throw me out. My dad, he's not going to welcome me home. No, he knew that he could come to his dad in humility. And what he didn't have. He knew that he had disowned, he had broken any righteousness that he had. And that's the way we need to come to the Lord. We need to be confessing this. This is what we need to be telling on the highways and byways. This is what we need to be confessing and testifying. Because this world needs to know of this selfless love. Again, what are you testifying about? What are you confessing about? Political parties? They're both broken. They're both corrupt. Music, unbelievers, it's broken, it's corrupt. The only thing that can save this world is this love. We have the answer. We have it. Are we sharing this with others? Verse 20 and 21, it says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Right? The simplicity of John, right? It's very simple. If you say you love God 
and yet you have hatred towards another believer, you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You can't, you can't say you love God and then you're talking garbage about a brother or sister. You can't say you love God and then you're actively trying to destroy your brother or sister's reputation behind their back. You can't say you love God and then you're going to belittle your husband in front of other people. Can't say you love God and then you're putting your wife down out in public in front of other people. You're a liar. God's love, it's not in you. Because if you really loved God, you'd be loving his people. You'd be loving the body of Christ. He's the head of it. Finally, verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. If you have a genuine faith in Jesus, you're going to have a genuine love for the body of Christ, a selfless love for the body of Christ. Not going to church seeing what they can give you, not going to church seeing what you can take from them, not going to church seeing what's best for you. No, you're looking to give because that's what Christ did. What miracle did Jesus do that was for himself? Can anybody tell me, right, when he multiplied the fish, when he multiplied the bread, was that for himself? Right? I think he helped Peter and him pay his taxes. That's probably the only miracle, right? But the rest, it's all for everybody else. It was to bless others. It was to heal others. So when we come into a room, what are we seeking after? To bless others or to simply what's most comfortable for me? Again, even in that statement, perfect love casts out fear, that's what Christians were known by is that we were not afraid of death. When hurricanes would happen, who are the people that are going in there to help out? It's the believers. It's the Red Cross. It's groups like that. When plagues were going on, who were the people in the hospitals, the people taking care of people? The Christians, the believers. Who were the people going out to share the gospel, going out to remote villages with cannibals? It was Christians. It was believers. So are we consumed with our fear and comfort that this is now our God? This is now our idol, love, God's love. It's not mature in your heart if that's the case. But finally here, right, this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. We read last week, Luke 7, verse 47, how Jesus, speaking of the woman, he said, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And so there's a lot of believers that think they've been forgiven just a teeny insy bit, right? I'm like 99.9% of the way to heaven. I just need to be forgiven that 0.1%. And that's why they barely love. But let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. We'll close up here. Worship team, you can get ready. Pastors, you can get ready. Colossians 3, verse 12. And it reads, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, right, anybody here have a complaint against another? Just me? Okay, just me, right? If, if, so this is for me, right? If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, Zach, so you also must do. But above these things, put on love, 
which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Again, family, this is what we need to put on. In the day and age we're living in, within the body of Christ, this is what we need to be putting on. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, always being mindful of how Jesus has forgiven me. That's how I need to be forgiving others. That's the amount of patience that I need to have with others is the amount of patience that God has had with me. So again, John, he makes our relationship with Jesus so simple. There's no need to overcomplicate things. And quite often, I believe we can overcomplicate things, whether we're looking to outside sources, whether allowing the noise of our mind and heart to carry on and to lead us. It's so simple. All he wants us to do is to love him. And if we really love him, we're going to obey his commandments and we're going to love others. If that's all of it all together. If we really love him, we're going to obey his commandments and we're going to love others. So again, family, has that love matured in our hearts that we're loving others? We're not bound by fear. We're not driven by fear. But we have boldness to come to that throne of grace in time of need. So hey, let's pray if the pastors can come up front and uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Lord, again, we're blown away that all that you've done for us, God, and Lord, for each of us, may you just be convicting us right here and right now, Lord, that brother or sister that we have a problem with, Lord, that bitterness that we've been holding on to for so long, Lord. Lord, may we be reminded of how you treated us, Lord. May we be reminded of the grace and forgiveness that you've bestowed upon each and every one of us, God. Lord, help us to love you more, Lord. And, and Lord, I pray anyone here, Lord, struggling with those anxieties, with those fears, with those insecurities, God. Lord, I pray they'd come up front, Lord, that they'd pray with one of the pastors, God. Lord, whoever you led here this morning, Lord, because they needed to be reminded that your love is not based upon our performance, Lord. I pray they'd come up front, Lord, to just be reminded at the width, at the depth, at the height of your love for each and every one of us, God. So, Lord, do that work, Lord. Help us to testify and confess of your great love, Lord, that you are the Son of God, you are the Savior of this world, Lord. You're the only way that this world and that mankind can be saved, God. Lord, may that rule and reign within each and every one of our hearts, Jesus. So we love you. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's all stand. We'll close in song. Again, if you need prayer, come up front. Pray with the pastors. If you've got to pray for someone else, man, come up front and pray with one of the pastors. Sing, He is jealous for me. He is jealous for me.